When negotiating an offer, try to put yourself into the seller's shoes. It can help you craft your offer and also keep things amicable. Although you don't have to like or get along with the seller, having that goodwill can make things go much more smoothly and can benefit you in the end. Chapter 9, Making an Offer Goals for Chapter 9 Understand the psychology of offers. Learn to research the seller. Be sure you have an exit strategy for the property. So you found a place you like. The numbers work and you are ready to make an offer. Congratulations. First, a word of warning. Once you make the decision to invest in real estate, it can be very tempting to hurry up and get started. Before you pull the trigger, make sure you've checked all these boxes. Compare the property against similar ones in the area for cap rate, condition, and amenities like parking. Consult a real estate agent or appraiser who is familiar with the area to understand the market conditions. Is this type of property in demand? Is it trending up or down? Is there anything going on in the neighborhood that could affect your property value? Is the property rented and is the rental situation favorable? How do these rents compare to those in similar properties? Beware if rents are much higher than the norm. There could be something fishy going on, and even if it's all on the level, you may have trouble finding new tenants who will pay the same amount. Are there opportunities to improve the property or do something else to improve your cap rate over time? Do you have an exit strategy? You should always have three options for the property. For example, I'm going to buy this house, tear it down, and put up a larger building. If the city won't approve that, I'll fix it up and sell it. If I can't sell it for my target amount, I'll rent it. All three options should work for you financially. Once you've ticked the final boxes, now what? In any market, some things are always true. You want to buy right and get the very best fair deal that the seller is willing to make. You also want to let the seller know that you're the most qualified buyer. So that means showing up front that you're the person who has what it takes to bring the transaction to a close. Go to eyimbook.com for a list of what to include with your offer. Deliver these documents to your agent or the person who's representing the seller. If the property is for sale by owner and the seller has no intermediary, it is in your best interest to find a neutral third party to handle the deposit. Avoid giving any money directly to the seller until the seller has the means to give you the title. The big question now, how much do I offer? You want your offer to be high enough to be accepted, but no higher. In reality, there will be one number that you will not want to exceed. We'll figure that out soon. It's always helpful to learn all you can about the seller and their pain points. Try to find out the following information. Why are they selling? How soon do they need or want to close? How much did they pay for the property? How much of a mortgage do they have? How long has the property been on the market? Are they behind on real estate taxes, mortgage payments, water, etc.? What is the current market value of the property? To answer these questions, you'll need a combination of online and offline resources. Start when you see the property in person for the first time. Ask the agent why the owners are selling, their ideal closing date, and whether they've had other offers or a lot of interest. If it's an open house, listen to what others are saying about the property and take note of the number of people attending. Online, start at the tax assessor's website. You can usually just plug the name of the town, plus tax, plus assessor, into your favorite search engine. Most towns have their records available online. From there, you can find out the owner's name. 
Use this to search the Registry of Deeds website for that county. Many also allow you to search by address. I recommend doing both. Try to find the deed when the current owner bought the property and work your way to the present. Look for liens, orders, mortgages, etc. Anything that can give you an idea of the owner's situation. For more in-depth research tools, visit eyimbook.com. Crafting the offer is also a matter of philosophy. Many buyers just want to go and make the absolute best deal they can. That makes sense, of course, but if you can get the property for a price that allows you to make the profit margin that you've identified as ideal, do you really beat up the seller for an extra $5,000 just because he or she is de desperate to sell? Think about karma, or at least about your reputation, if you plan to buy and sell more property. The listing agent for the property, or even the seller, may be in a position to bring you a great deal later on, and they're much more likely to do so if they see you're treating all parties fairly and with respect. Once you've submitted your offer, the seller must respond before the offer deadline. The response could be an acceptance, a rejection, or a counteroffer. A counteroffer is the norm. It basically says, thanks for your offer of X dollars, but I'd really like to have at least Z dollars. You compare Z dollars to your ideal purchase price, and then you can do the same, either accept, reject, or counter. Buyer's market. When there's more than nine months worth of inventory, it's considered to be a buyer's market. This means that there are more sellers than buyers, so buyers have an advantage. They can be fussier and less flexible. Use your research to find the people who have the most compelling reason to sell and offer them the lowest fair price, factoring in your repair budget, market conditions, and a comfort margin. If they don't want to accept your price, leave your info and tell them to get back to you if they change their minds. Make a note to check on these properties in a few months. If they're still on the market, you may find the owners more willing to negotiate. Seller's market. In a seller's market, you often find properties selling for more than the asking price. Inventory is limited, so when a property does come on the market, anxious buyers will bid against each other, driving prices up. If you can avoid the scenario, it is best to do so. Even in a seller's market, some properties are not going to go right away. Maybe they need work, or perhaps the owner priced the property too high. In any case, if you can look for properties that have been on the market for at least a few weeks, you'll likely be able to get a better deal than going to the first open house and getting involved in the bidding mania. Make your own inventory. In any market, you have the option of buying property that is not yet on the market. It is a skill or maybe even a gift that some people have for finding opportunity. While you're out researching your chosen neighborhoods, look for homes that appear run down, deserted, or neglected. Knock on the door, or if you see a neighbor, ask questions. Find the owner's information on the tax assessor website and send them a letter or postcard. Let them know you love the neighborhood, you saw their house, and you're wondering if they've thought of selling. Be honest about the fact that you're an investor and tell them you'd like to develop the home to its potential. Be careful because not everyone will see that their home is in need of work. Some tact will go a long way when speaking with the owner. When you see neighbors during your wanderings, let them know why you're there and ask if they know of anyone who's been thinking of selling or anyone who could benefit from a quick sale. Being creative with elderly sellers or people with special situations can benefit both you and the seller. Making an offer. When making an offer, use the current market value, CMV, as your guide. Because CMV is calculated using closed sales, the information is always at least a couple of months out of date. By the time the property closes, the market has moved on, either up or down, and the CMV will not reflect that. 
In a seller's market, you will need to add a premium to the current value. In a buyer's market, you may need to subtract. Use the comparison between selling price and closing price to create a formula that you can use to calculate the correct offer price. Your real estate agent should be able to assist you with this. If you're planning to buy and hold, you need to find the price at which the current or potential cap rate aligns with your financial goals. If you're planning to buy and sell, you have to calculate the likely selling price minus any repairs or improvements that you plan to make and minus your profit. The result is the highest price you should pay for the home. Always look for ways to offer something besides money that could be of value to the seller. Things like letting the seller stay in the property for a while after the closing, offering an earlier or later than normal closing date, waiving contingencies, and putting a higher down payment are all ways to differentiate the offer to the seller. I advise my buyers to get pre-approved for the maximum amount, regardless of the selling price of the property. How do you think the seller will view your ability to buy the property if you submit an offer for $250,000 with a pre-approval letter for $750,000? Selling to you will seem like a slam dunk. I love you, but... Contingencies are conditions that are put into the offer. They say that if something either happens or doesn't happen, you have the ability to cancel the purchase and have your full deposit refunded. An example is a home inspection contingency. If the home inspect like that could sound like this, if the home inspector finds problems that will cost more than $5,000 to fix, the buyer can cancel. There's no limit to the types of contingencies that can be put into an offer. In a seller's market, the fewer contingencies, the better your chances of being the winning offer. The more contingencies, the less risk that you'll end up being forced to buy a property that you later discover isn't a good investment. Although it can be frustrating to lose out on a property, take every lost bid as a learning experience. Start a dialogue early on with the seller's agent. Explain to her that you're getting started and that you'd be a good person to know because you'll be buying and selling multiple properties in the future. Give her a reason to stay in contact with you and encourage her to share as much as she's legally able about the winning bid. What made the owner choose that offer over yours? Sometimes it's more than just money. Understanding the advantage of the winning offer can help you craft your offers better in the future. Negotiation 101, seller win psychology. When negotiating an offer, try to put yourself into the seller's shoes. It can help you craft your offer and also keep things amicable. Although you don't have to like or get along with the seller, having that goodwill can make things go much more smoothly and can benefit you in the end. Let's say you're interested in buying a house that's priced at $250,000. Your numbers work at $240,000. You have several options. You can put in an offer for $230,000, hoping that you can meet in the middle. You can offer less than $230,000 and see what happens. You can offer $240,000 and say, this is my highest and best offer, take it or leave it. I suggest that you offer $230,000. Why risk insulting the seller and developing animosity when it's not necessary? The asking price is fair given the market, so why be a jerk? On the other hand, being heavy-handed and offering your highest and best offer right away can also backfire, essentially for the same reason. Transactions seem to go better in most cases when the seller feels at least some level of control. This doesn't always work, and you'll know right away if you've encountered an atypical seller, but start with the assumption that things will flow more smoothly this way. You never count your money while you're sitting at the table. Henry Kenny Rogers, the gambler. You never really know the price that the seller has in mind until he's given you a counteroffer. 
In the first example, you're offering 230 and expecting a counter offer of 245. Then you'd go back at 235, you would counter at 240, you'd accept and everybody would be happy. <clears throat> but what happens if he counters at 240 right away? Unless he says, this is the lowest I'll go, always go back with a counter offer. Why? Because if you don't, the seller will feel that he should have gone higher and will feel bad about the transaction. You know that 240000 was the number that you wanted all along and that you can make a good profit at that price. But because the negotiation was too easy, the seller may feel that he made a mistake. Do him a favor and take the extra couple of thousand dollars that will come from a longer negotiation. In the end, he'll feel that he squeezed out every penny that you're willing to pay and that he won the negotiation. Although you may feel it to be counterintuitive, trust me, this is a great way to start a transaction. Make sure that when you finally accept his offer, and it should always be the buyer that accepts the seller's offer if possible. He feels like he drove a hard bargain and came out ahead. No one to walk away. In negotiations, like relationships, the person with the least emotional commitment is in control. That person should always be you. Your best alternative to a negotiated agreement, or BATNA, is often to walk away from this house and buy something else. Always be prepared to do that. This seller may not be ready to accept a price that you feel is fair. Even if you love the house, resist the temptation to go back and rework your numbers. Just smile, say thank you, and ask that the seller contact you if he changes his mind. There are lots of other fish in the sea, and one of them is perfect for you. Chapter 9 Action Items Identify your target property. Research market and seller information. Calculate your ideal price. Make an offer. Negotiate hard and be prepared to walk away.